Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Well, how would you define success as a church? If you could fill out kind of a common card of what you would most like to see happen at Crossroads Community Church, what would you write down? What would be your hopes? What would be your wishes? What would be your aspirations? How do you define success? It's an important issue. There was a guy, he was trying to move his dishwasher, or his washing machine rather, and he was in his front door, and he was right there in the middle, he was trying to move it, and a neighbor was walking by and came up to him and says, hey, could you use some help? He says, I I could. And so he said to the neighbor, okay, how about you go from the outside, I'll go from the inside, and then maybe together we'll get it out more easily. And after five minutes of just trying to move the thing, they just couldn't, then they were exhausted. And so the the neighbor said, boy, I want to help you out, but at this rate, we're not going to get this, we're never going to get this thing outside of your house. And the guy says, what do you mean outside of the house? I'm trying to get it inside of the house. (laughs) It is a church, as a body, as a community where we have so many ministries, so many moving parts, so many opportunities, so many things that we can be doing. We have to define what is success, where are we going, what is it that God has called us to do? And more and more and more as we develop, as we mature as a body and as a church, we need to define that. So the staff and I had met and we had worked through what is the vision or what is the mission of our church and we brought it to our executive leadership team. And I've been saying this just about every single message so that we become acclimated to it. And if we could have that by way of the screen, what is the definition of of the mission of our church? And uh, passing on. Do we have that this morning? All right. Passing on an obedient relationship with Christ to our communities. Let's read that together, starting with passing. Passing on an obedient relationship with Christ to our communities. We think that is a summary of what Jesus has called us to do. Matthew 28, Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, Go into all the world and make disciples. Make people. Help people. Develop relationships with people who do not yet know me so that they will become obedient followers of me, as Jesus says, to teach them everything. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So we as a church... And for 2019, our goal has been that we would have seven ministry outposts. Areas in the communities that we serve, from Richmond to Algonac to Marine City to here in St. Clair to wherever God is calling us, where we have a presence of people who are praying for people, caring for them, and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with them. And so we've commissioned three outposts in different places, 
And now we have two that are developing. So we have five outposts. And I think we're well on our way to seven where we are having people and teams where they are prayer, care, and share with people. We've also said that for our ministries, we want 60% of what we do to be in-house. It's here in the building, if you will. Those are the nurturing, the teaching, the worshiping, the encouraging ministries. And we are a full-service church, and so we have a great ministries to our children, to our youth. We have our life group ministries. We have our council. We do everything that a church is supposed to do. But we have also said that God has not planted us here so that we are about ourselves. God has planted us for those who have yet to know him. Because if you know Jesus today, it is because somebody was on mission to share Jesus Christ. Maybe it was with your parents. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe it was directly with you. But the thing is, is that we are called to pass on an obedient relationship. And statistically, 70% of our communities are not thinking about church. They're not looking for a church. They wake up on Sunday morning and church is the furthest thing from their mind. But many of these people are still open to a relationship with Jesus. And so we have to, as it's been shared this morning, we need to go out and be the church in the harvest field where people are at. And so our mission is to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. And the most important thing is that that is what God has called us to do. That is what stokes, that is what jazzes the heart of Jesus is that when he brings us in, when we were strangers, when we were outcasts and we were enemies, and he makes us his friends, and then we in turn go out to people who are strangers to us, who are outcasts in our community, maybe even enemies to ourselves or others, and then we develop a friendship so that we can then show a relationship to Jesus Christ. That is what blesses the heart of God. And that is what Christianity and that is what the church is called to do. We are to build each other up and then we are to go out and to be the church in the world on mission for Jesus. So I want to look at this in John chapter 4 as we kick off this series sent about what it is that stokes the heart of God, what it is that blesses him. And Jesus lays this out in John chapter 4. So if you've already turned there, Go ahead and look at that. If you're using your Bible app, your version, then go ahead and turn there. If you don't have either of those, then we'll have the scriptures by way of the screen. Jesus is pretty early in his ministry in John chapter 4. And he's going to do something that is so huge and something that is so pivotal. It is to be a turning point within the minds of his disciples because they are the ones who he will pass on to them to pass on to others in obedient relationship with Jesus. And he wants them to see something so big, something so huge. And so he's going to illustrate something that is so monumental that they weren't looking for, that they would never expect. Because what we see Jesus is about to do here is nothing that has ever been done or ever displayed or ever shown within the history of the world. And it is something that makes Christianity so unique. So Jesus is on his journeys. And he's in the southern part of of Israel. 
He's in the area of Judea and he's about to go north. And we pick up in verse four. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Notice that in verse four, he had to go through Samaria. There wasn't a choice. It wasn't an option. It wasn't elective. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. We can have the map by way of the screen. I need to give you a little background to understand this. Jesus ministered in Israel, which is a nation today, the Jewish nation. It's a nation about the size of New Jersey, and it's divided up into three main areas or counties. They weren't counties, but for our sake of understanding, let's think of them that way. In the south is Judea, in the middle is Samaria, and in the top is Galilee. Jesus is in the southern part of Judea where the great city of Jerusalem is and he needs to travel north to Galilee which is where he grew up and most of the disciples had come from. But in order to go from Judea up to Galilee you had to go through Samaria if you took a straight line there. The problem is, and maybe you've heard about this before, but the Jews in the south and Judea and the Jews in the north and Galilee hated those who were in the middle called Samaritans. For 400 years, there had been this intense conflict. These people called Samaritans had embraced a false religion and mixed it with Judaism. There was now, they were kind of a mixed race and there was all kind of religious hatred. There was racial hatred. There was cultural hatred. And so because of that, if a Jew was traveling from Judea to Samaria or to Galilee or vice versa, instead of going through Samaria, which was a three-day journey, they would go across the Jordan River and they would add an extra three days to the trip. And so what would be a three-day journey would turn into a six-day journey because they didn't want to enter into the town of uh, the area of Samaria. Now, let me tell you this. If you take an extra three days to avoid somebody with a trip in the desert, you really don't like them, do you? All right? I mean, if it takes, I'm going three more days out of my way in the desert where it's extremely hot and there's a a scarcity of water. I don't like you, do I? Okay. Some of you, that's how you get your extra exercise, isn't it? You know, you meet your Fitbit quota by kind of the extra steps you take to avoid somebody at work or whatever. And that's the way it is right here. They hated the Samaritans. And Jesus does what is so unusual. He says, we're going right through the territory. We're entering right in. And the reason is, is because he has an encounter in mind with one person. The Samaritans are rejected. The Samaritans are outcast. But Jesus is going to have a conversation. In fact, it is the longest conversation that Jesus has privately in all of the Bible with this one woman. And this one woman is a reject of the reject. She is an outcast of the outcasted people of Samaria. If the Samaritans were the least of the least, she is at the very bottom of that pale. 
And Jesus is going to encounter her. And it shows to us that it's something that is so vital. You and I will never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter deeply to God. You and I will never encounter somebody, lock eyes with them, or have a conversation with them that they don't matter very deeply to the heart of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to go way out of here. Jesus is going to take this trip in a very targeted way to encounter one person. And he encounters her because she matters very deeply to God, even though she has been rejected by so many other people. Verse 6, it says it's at noon and Jesus is there at the well. And this is very unusual because when you went to get water, at the well, you, this is a very hot climate. It's kind of like in Florida or Arizona. If you get most of your work done and you're doing it outside, when do you want to do it? As early as possible. You don't do it toward the noon or the afternoon. And she's there getting water at the well because nobody's there. All of the other women who have gotten water have been there maybe 6 a.m., 7 a.m., something like that. And when they get there, it's kind of like their Tim Hortons or their Starbucks gathering. The ladies get there, they gather at the well, they get their water, but what do they do? They talk, they gossip, they share the latest news. And this woman's a reject and she doesn't want to go there because she knows that if she does, when they are there, They'll look down on her. They'll talk about her. They won't include her. They may snub her. They may say insulting things about her. I remember my mom, she was a a cheerleader in high school, at least for a period of time, though she didn't really connect with that group real well. But she said there was a group of her and some cheerleaders. They were in the car and they stopped at a store. And I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they were in the parking lot and there was about five of them. And one of the cheerleaders went into the store to get something and then she came back out. And when she went to the store, all the other cheerleaders talked about her, didn't say positive things. So she gets back into the car. Another cheerleader goes into the store and then comes back. And while she was gone, they all talked about her. They didn't say positive things. Then it happened with the next two cheerleaders. They did the same thing. They were all talking about it and say, but my mom was silent. And finally, there's my mom. It's her turn to go into the store. And mom looked at those cheerleaders and said, I'm not going into the store. You know, she didn't want to be talked about. And that's where this Samaritan woman is at. And so she's alone. And you're going to see she's got a reputation. She's hurting. She's rejected. She's a person who doesn't have hope. In fact, she has been looking for hope into the arms of other men. And she has had a series of relationships that she would hope would fill the soul within her heart. And there she comes and there is this man, Jesus. In all of her life, she's been used to men taking from her. All of her life, she's been used to having men wanting something from her that she would give. But here is a man who takes an interest in her. And he has this conversation with her. 
They start talking about water and they start talking about living water. And Jesus starts talking about the thirst within her soul and how he, in a relationship with him, he can fill that thirst within her soul. And she's curious about this. And she says, can you show me where I can get this water? And before she can go and get this water, which is what Jesus is referencing, is a relationship with himself through the Holy Spirit. Jesus begins to confront her sin. He begins to confront her shame. He begins to confront her guilt. So we pick up in verse 16. It says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. Watch this. The fact is, is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Boy, Jesus is confronting her darkness. Jesus is confronting her shame. You have had this suburban full of men. They've all tried to use you. You've tried to find meaning through all of them. And so in verse 19, she's blown away. She says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet very clearly. And she doesn't want to go deeper into this conversation. And so in verse 20, she kind of switches. She kind of pivots. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's kind of like this. Jesus says, uh, let's talk about your sex life. And the woman says, uh, no, let's change the subject. You know, it's like you're talking, let's talk about your sex life. And uh, well, uh, I don't know about that. How about the Lions? Uh, they could probably do pretty good if they had a better quarterback, couldn't they? And that's kind of the dynamic going on here. But Jesus subtly, slowly, gently opens up her soul. He begins to slowly open up her sin, slowly open up her shame, slowly open up the, 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 the hurt within her soul so that he can fill it. And then she embraces Jesus. She sees him as the Messiah. She sees him as a person who can provide life, who can provide love, who can provide purpose. Now look at this encounter. And I think about the people we encounter, people who are in some pretty hard sin. Some people are in kind of those dark places of rebellion. And for us as believers, as those of us who are followers of Christ, trying to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ, there's three ways we can respond. Number one, we can look at people and say, you know what, your sin is bad. I'm going to avoid you. Your sin is bad and I'm going to avoid you and judge you and I'm going to hang out over here with this other crowd and we're going to talk about you, the latest things that are going on in your life and we're going to look down upon you and we're going to feel better about ourselves because, well, we don't feel that we're as bad as you are. So that's one response. Your sin is bad, we'll avoid you. Another response is this, your sin is good, we'll celebrate you. Okay, you have that sin going on. You live that lifestyle. You engage in that behavior. Well, we'll make it a part of your identity. 
We'll have a whole parade around it. We'll celebrate it. And then we'll look down upon anybody else who would say that that standard is wrong or that that lifestyle is a bad choice. Rather, instead of dealing with the sin, we're going to celebrate it and allow it to continue to destroy your life. And that's the response of popular culture. But the response of Jesus and the response of those who follow Jesus is like this. Your sin is hurting you, and we see that. But it doesn't need to define you. Your sin is hurting you, and we see that. But it doesn't need to define you. And because of that, we're going to love you. Because the gospel says this. That while we were yet sinners, we were strangers, we were outcasts, we were enemies of God. That Jesus died for us. And that Jesus made us friends when we weren't worthy to be friends. Jesus made us clean when we were so unclean. Jesus made us whole when we were broken. And so because of that as a church, our mission is then to go and to reflect that into our communities. And so we make friends of people who are strangers, outcasts, and even enemies, because that's what Jesus did to us. Verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Notice, she's went from outcast to outgoing. She's now been a reject, and now she is a person who is making a connection to Jesus. She has now been a person who wasn't loved, and now she is a person who is loving those who rejected her. And so he says, could this be the Messiah? And they they came out to the town, and they made their way toward him. Verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples, and they had went to look for food earlier, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? You look at the disciples at this point, you think, did Jesus recruit the apple dumpling game or what? I mean, they just don't get it. They're always missing the point. And Jesus says in verse 34, my food What energizes me, what fuels me, what excites me, what stokes me, what I am passionate about, what I've come to do. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that is to make friends out of strangers. That is to make partners out of those who have been enemies. That is to bring healing to those who have been rejected. In verse 35, Jesus looking at his disciples says, Guys, here's the lesson I want you to see. Here's what I want you to drill down into your minds. As you will go on and you will pass on in obedient relationship with me to others. Don't you have a saying? It is four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says, look at what's important to me. It is people who have yet to come to know me. It is people who don't know me, but have yet to come to know me because you seek to be a friend of those 
who feel they have no friends. And Jesus wants to make this absolutely clear. Because this past week, we had to get something repaired on one of our vehicles. And I called up a friend and I, I said, hey, do you, do you have a mechanic you recommend? And so he told me about a guy in a, another nearby town. So I called him up. The guy says, yeah, go on and bring the vehicle in and I can start working on it tomorrow. And so he diagnosed the problem. He called me up. He gave me a quote, an estimate. I said, okay, go ahead and do it. And it's a, it was a fairly large repair. So it was costing a fair amount of money. And so it was a couple of days later, Brenda and I went in. We're there to pick up the vehicle and pay for the repair. And I'm there at the counter and, and I'm just expecting to pay for this like I've paid for all my other repairs, just using a, a credit card as just kind of a, a, you know, a purchasing means. And I'm looking there and I'm, as I'm at the counter, and there's this small sign amongst many other signs, and it says, we do not take credit. So, okay, that's not good. Then I looked at another sign, and it was another sign amongst many other signs. It says, and we do not take credit. Uh, checks. I'm like, oh, that's not good, is it? And so I go out to my wife who's in the car, the car waiting for me. I says, we're going to challenge here. They don't take credit and they don't take checks. What are we going to do? So she says, well, let's go in and talk to them. Good idea. So I'm there at the counter. The lady comes. I says, I, you don't take credit. You don't take checks. She says, no, we don't do that. But can you see the sign back here? No, I didn't. That would have been nice to know. He says, well, we're going to bank a lake stone. I said, okay, that's cool. We bank at lake stone. So we went there, and, and so we got some money moved from the savings to the checking. And so I'm going to do this cashier's check, and I call him up, and I'm going to say, hey, what is the name of your company, your establishment, so I can get it right on the cashier's check? She says, oh, we don't take cashier's check. And I'm like, I have never had a harder time giving somebody my money than this. The story ends up well, the car gets fixed, we pay for it and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of like, okay, the fine print, the message is back there, but you've got to look really hard to see it. And Jesus is not doing this. Jesus says, I am making it crystal clear to you. I am here in the midst of a rejected people. I have loved a rejected woman in the midst of this rejected people. And this woman has become my friend. And now she is making a friend of others who have rejected her. And now they are accepting me. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks to his church and he says, this is what I am passionate about. And so as we say as a church that our mission is to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community, we do so because that is the heartbeat and that is the passion of Jesus. Well, let me bring this in for a landing. Let's talk about what this means today, but how do we translate it into obedience for tomorrow? Let me give you a couple of encouragements. Number one is this. When it comes to opening our eyes to what Jesus wants us to see in his priority, the first thing we have to do is to remove the blinder of stress. Remove the blinder of stress. The thing that I see and I hear over and over from people is, as pastor, I'm just so stressed. I'm just so busy. 
I don't have time to engage my neighbors. I don't have time to think about those who are in my grocery store. I don't have time to to think about those who I work with. I've just got too much going on. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Look, guys, forget about the food. Forget about all the details. Forget about all the organization. Start valuing your life according to what is eternally important and what matters the most. And here's what's so cool. Jesus makes it simple. He says, open your eyes because your mission and your ministry is right around you. It's in your own zip code. It's in your own neighborhood. It's right next to the person who sits next to you in the cubicle. It's that neighbor. It's that person who's on your softball team. Right there, your mission is right around you. Simply open your eyes because there are people that you live, that you work with, that you do life with, who are open to Jesus. But the first thing they need is a friendship with you. Brenda, my wife, was really pressed with this call to to be a missionary, to love those who are around her. And and she's like a lot of you. She doesn't have a lot of non-Christian friends and doesn't hang out. Her life's pretty busy and all that kind of stuff. And so she began thinking, Lord, who can I be on mission to? Who can I share the love of Jesus who doesn't know you? And one of the person that she sees about four times a week is the lady who works at the post office. And so she just began praying for her on a daily basis and some other people. And just praying that she can establish a friendship with her that will bring this lady into a friendship with Jesus Christ. And there right as she's, you know, turning in the package or getting whatever delivered and the lady's taking care of things at the counter, in those short moments, Brenda can talk to her about God. They can have spiritual conversations and develop a friendship. And now they're set to go to the beach together and collect rocks because that's a common interest that they have. She's being a missionary by making a friendship. Now, this is pretty cool because I got a call this past week and I'm connecting with a young man in my, in my community who wants to speak to me. He's going through some challenges in his life. and He's open to talking to me. And as I got to find out more about him, This young man is the son of the woman that Brenda has been reaching out to. And his connection to me and his mom's connection to Brenda have no coincidence. They're God incidences. And folks, the place it starts is just opening our eyes, praying for our neighbors, as David was saying to us, right, well, prayer makes the difference. And if you have a list of maybe three to five people that you're praying for every day who you can be on mission with, who don't know Jesus, just begin praying that God will give you a friendship with them that will bring them into a friendship with Jesus. Begin to see what God will do through your life. Josh had mentioned it's September 1st. We're going to start 30 days It's called a 30-day kickstart into the harvest field. We're going to be giving each of you that wants one this guide, a 30-day guide. It's a devotional which will kind of give you a step-by-step of knowing the scriptures, of praying for those who are far from God, who need a relationship with him. And so through that time, it's going to better equip us as a church to love people in the harvest field. Secondly, 
Remove the blinder of short-sightedness. Remove the blinder of short-sightedness. The disciples are there and they see the Samaritans embracing Jesus. They're like, how did this happen? This isn't what we were expecting. And Jesus says in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap what you did not work for. And others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It's right there. Jesus is like, guys, God's been working here for years. God's an expert of leading people to him. And he's been working in, in, in these people's lives in ways that you didn't see, you didn't expect, you didn't understand. But don't limit how God can lead people in bringing them, bringing them into a relationship with himself. Now think about Jesus. And Jesus says these words to his disciples, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And Jesus crossed several barriers to reach the Samaritans. He crossed the barrier from heaven to earth. And then when he crossed the barrier from being a Jew to relating to the Samaritans. And then he crossed the barrier of being someone who was completely sinless to relating to someone who was very sinful. And then he crossed the barrier of a man who is now relating with a woman in this kind of setting which was not customary. And so Jesus crossed the barriers. And the question for us as a church is what barriers are God calling you to cross? What barriers is God calling Crossroads Community to cross? What barriers is he calling us to break over so that we can develop friendships with people who are not yet friends with Jesus?